Hello there, I'm Corey, and this is the official tapes. It's a radio program that airs on a bunch of radio stations around the globe. And every once in a while, we uh, get to squeeze in an interview. And this go around, uh, you may have heard of this guy as the author or co-author of Marketing Lessons from the Grateful Dead. It's David Merriman Scott here, and I am the co-author with my 27-year-old daughter, Reiko, of Fanocracy, Turning Fans into Customers and Customers into Fans. Now, David is a huge fan of the Grateful Dead, so we had to do this into two parts with Fanocracy. One part is Fanocracy that is very Grateful Dead music-focused, and then the other one is more generalized. But there's, of course, some Grateful Dead references in there. So this is Fanocracy, the general version. Enjoy. The idea of fanocracy started simple. It's my daughter and I looked at can any organization, person, uh, idea, company build fans the same way the Grateful Dead and Harry Potter? And the answer is absolutely yes. So, fanocracy is a word that we made up. <laughs> uh, it took us six months to come up with the title fanocracy because we wanted a word that we could own. In other words, if someone entered into Google, they would find us. I could, we could own the URL for our website at fanocracy.com. Also, a made-up word that people would instantly know essentially what it means. You know, a democracy is the rule of the people. A fanocracy is a rule by the fans. So the idea of fanocracy is it's a, a personal approach to business. Uh, it's the idea of making business personal. It's the idea that whenever you put your product or service out there into the world, you need to let the fans take over and let the fans own it. So a fanocracy is when the fans rule. I decided about six years or so ago that I wanted to do a deep, deep, deep dive into the idea of fandom and turn that into a book. And I recognized that I had limitations because my idea of fandom was Grateful Dead, it was surfing, it was the Apollo Lunar Program, and, you know, those things, those things dated me, you know. Um, not that there's not Grateful Dead fans who are younger, there certainly are, but I recognized that I had this one approach. So the, the, the way we started this was I kept asking her questions you know, what would a millennial think about this? What, you know, oh, you, you love Comic-Con, Rico. Tell me about Comic-Con. So I actually ended up buying a ticket and I went to Comic-Con. I didn't get dressed up, but I went to Comic-Con. I was there for a day. I took notes. I interviewed some people um, just with my iPhone to get their thoughts. And then I came back and I worked for like a whole weekend writing up a couple of pages on my thoughts on Comic-Con as like a part of a chapter of what would eventually become this book and Reiko read it and she goes daddy this is terrible I mean this is not the comic con that I love and I'm like do you want to work on this book with me <laughs> and because I couldn't I couldn't get the millennial thing you know I I, I mean she's a, my daughter's a millennial I've lived with her for 20 well she lives on her own now but for about 22 years she lived under my roof so but I still didn't quite get it. So it was really important to have a, the two authors. And then people 
just think it's so endearing and they do really find it very important when we start talking about how different generations and different genders and, and also the whole LGBTQ plus thing that I frankly don't understand as well as Reiko because many, many of her friends are part of LGBTQ communities. I didn't quite get those things well. And the two of us putting this book together, we've had a really great reaction from people. And, you know, the other manifestation of that great reaction is that uh, it came out in the first week of January and second week of January, it hit the Wall Street Journal bestseller list. So, um, you know, so people liked it. it it's it sold quite a few copies. And the other thing we did, which was a really good decision, was we chose to read the audiobook version ourselves. That was a really, really good decision because there's a lot of stories in the book that come from our personal experience. I talk about going to Grateful Dead shows. She talks about going to Comic-Con shows. I talk about some of the products and services that I love. Like, I, you know, I love to surf, and I'm a real b big fan of this company called Grain Surfboards. I talk about why. And so having hearing those stories come from us in our own voice in the audiobook version was important. One of the things that we really wanted to do with this idea of fandom is to understand the neuroscience behind what's going on in our brains when we become a fan of something. And so Reiko has an undergraduate degree in neuroscience from Columbia University where she did her undergraduate degree. So she knows quite a bit about neuroscience, but we ended up talking to a number of different PhDs in neuroscience. And one person who we became aware of, his name is Edward T. Hall, identified the different levels of distance from other people and what that means for us as humans. Backing up just a little bit, um, it turns out that all of us humans are hardwired to want to be part of a tribe of like-minded people. And that's really important. It's actually a survival technique. And it's important because when we're with our tribe of like-minded people, we're safe and secure. And that goes back tens of thousands of years. You know, when you're, when you're with your group of cave people, you know, you're protected from another group of cave people that might come by and want to hit you with their clubs. I'm exaggerating a little bit, but we humans love that idea of being part of a tribe, of being part of a group of like-minded people. So this neuroscientist named Edward T. Hall identified that there's several different levels of how close you get to another human and what those things mean. And the basic idea is the closer you get to someone, the more powerful the shared emotions are. So further than 20 feet is public space. And we don't begin to track people in our public space. We know they're there, but we don't really, in our unconscious mind, begin to track them. However, once people get within about 20 feet or so from us, up to about four feet, that becomes social space. And so in social space, roughly four feet to roughly 20 feet, our brains begin to track the people who get within our social space. So what that means is if you walk into a crowded party, you know 
subconsciously the people who are just around you because your brain is tracking them because your ancient brain needs to know are these people part of our tribe or are they potential enemies so that's why when you're nearby people who are part of your tribe and at a dead show for example you feel safe and comfortable and it feels great but when you're nearby people for whom they're not part of your tribe in a crowded elevator or a crowded subway car or walking down a city street you feel uncomfortable and it's just your ancient brain kicking in so that's all in physical space there's another form of neuroscience called mirror neurons which become really important for us to maintain that tribe of people even in a situation where you can't go out and mirror neurons are the part of our brains that fire when we see or even just hear somebody doing something and they're firing as if we're doing it ourselves so i will demonstrate that for you right now what i'm going to do is i'm going to bite into a lemon and when i bite into a lemon my brain begins to fire because wow that lemon is so tart it's so powerful my eyes close my eyes are watering a little bit my mouth is puckering up saliva glands are doing their thing it's a really powerful thing to bite into a lemon my gosh my brain is firing but yours is too and everyone everyone who's listening in his brain's firing too it's crazy and that's this power of mirror neurons so here's how we can use this all of us to be an effective communicator and be a part of um continue to be a part of the tribes we're a part of or even generate more people to be part of our tribe so if you work for a company to generate more people who might be interested in um following what you're doing or maybe becoming your customers and that is use video effectively and crop that video as if it's about 4 feet away from the uh, not necessarily 4 feet from the camera but um the person who's watching the video feels as though you're 4 feet away from them and the reason that's powerful is that intellectually we know that someone who's on a screen talking to us is not next to us they're, they they could be thousands of miles away they could have filmed that 6 months ago or if it's live we even have a, a greater stronger bond because we know intellectually that that is a live show that's happening right now but our ancient brains through mirror neurons don't allow us to to assume the difference and we actually believe that we're in the same room with that person on the screen and you know that's true because every one of us feel as though we know personally a movie star or a television star right you know you you watch a particular show on a regular basis and you know you feel you know that person personally or if you follow a particular youtube star you think you know that person personally and you know intellectually you've never met that person but you feel you know them personally but where it gets creepy is if you try to figure out what hotel they're staying in and then you know that that becomes stalking i think and there is an interesting exception though and the interesting exception used to be the autograph where it was pretty much accepted if you were a public figure that unless unless they were like eating or you know in the restroom or something but if you randomly ran into somebody say you know waiting in line to get onto the airplane or something 
you could ask them for an autograph, but now it's the selfie. And so the selfie is the new autograph. And it's pretty much accepted with most famous people that part of the deal is if people are polite and respect the space and ask first and you know you're not you're not busy you know eating dinner with your family in a restaurant that it's cool to ask for a selfie and most people will happily oblige most famous people will happily oblige but now this becomes really interesting because this is as far as i know the only real accepted way that you can get well within four feet of a famous person without having their security beat you up <laughs> because hey john mayers love what you're doing would it be cool if we shot a quick selfie yeah come on in you're now within six inches of john mayer or if he puts his arm around you you're touching john mayer that is actually accepted to get within four feet but if it weren't to have that selfie taken or in the old days to have an autograph you cannot get into the personal space of a famous person so that that becomes really interesting and i think that's not stalking but there are instances where i know that unfortunately people do stalk these people these famous people and i i would hate to have that but you know people do so what we did is we came at this idea of fandom because we both recognized that that we weren't really getting so much out of the online world anymore it felt like the pendulum has swung too far in the direction of superficial online communications and we kind of felt like we're looking for the true human connections and so i am a massive massive live music fan and my daughter reiko is a massive fan of harry potter and so i'm a live music fan 804 live concerts in my life I actually have a, an excel spreadsheet with all the bands on it first one when i was age 15 and reiko is such a harry potter fan that she wrote an 85,000 word alternative ending to the harry potter series where draco malfoy is a spy for the order of the phoenix and put that on a fan fiction site it's been downloaded thousands of times and commented on hundreds of times. It's been fascinating because most people bond a little bit more with one or the other of us based on, you know, man, woman, sort of what age you are, and also what fandoms, you know, the live music fans might tend to bond a little bit more with me, for example, but everybody recognizes, and, every, and so many people have commented that having two authors who are so different in this idea of fandom has been so important so we recognize that number one we're completely different in terms of who we are but on the other hand we both had the same ideas about how important that we love as fans are to us grateful dead like music harry potter comic-con and so we recognize we're utterly different but at the same time we have the same ideas of the importance of fandom so that made us a really interesting combination of authors but because we went into the project she was only 21 when we went into the project there was a hierarchical relationship because i'm the dad she's the daughter at that time she was still an undergraduate so i was paying for her um, university education and that as an author team it was not going to work 
the only way it could possibly work is if we were going in as equals and that she could feel comfortable telling me <laughs> that, that a chapter that I wrote stunk, which he did, <laughs> and that I could feel comfortable recognizing that she's a better writer than me, which she is. And so once we figured out that dynamic, it worked way better. And we also had, as a co-author team, we made an initial mistake where as we started writing the book after we finished the research started writing the book we wrote it in one voice you know sort of a we voice and by definition because we were two authors writing with one voice we had to sort of tamp down both of our writing nuances and it wasn't working and it wasn't working because it just felt a little generic and so we actually went back in and completely started from scratch writing the book because we wanted our individual voices to come through and so what we ended up with in the rewrite is that i wrote some chapters and reiko wrote some chapters and we could let our own personalities shine through our own writing style shine through um the fact that i'm a baby boomer and, and a man and she's a millennial and a woman could shine through and that worked brilliantly it also the fact that she's a better writer writer made that great because i can't tell you how many people have commented to me and they've never nobody has actually come out and say it they all dance around it they'll say something like wow i really liked your book and boy do you have really different writing styles and i'm like yeah she's a better writer than me and then people say oh yeah yeah she is she's a great and i'm like you could have said that you know and somebody else will say you know it's really interesting like you know she's um she just has uh this really interesting way of articulating her ideas i go yeah she's a better writer oh yeah yeah she's a better writer. <laughs> it's really funny so the fact that we decided not to make it kind of a generic we voice and actually make it our own unique voices um sharing chapters back and forth was a really important decision for the book. So we said to ourselves the online world wasn't really working out for us so much anymore but at the same time we're massive geeks around these things that we love live music and harry potter and reiko also gets dressed up for comic con so we decided to team up to test a thesis the thesis was that any organization can build fans it doesn't have to be a band or an author but any organization and so we spent 5 years doing that research and have found that yes indeed there are all kinds of organization that that can build fans there's uh we found nonprofits and government agencies and software companies and not and uh consumer products companies and doctors and lawyers and dentists all of whom have developed fans and so this book we wrote fanocracy turning fans into customers and customers into fans gets at the idea of how does the grateful dead and harry potter build fans and then how can any organization use those ideas the prescriptions to develop fans of their own I think it's a little bit harder to turn a fan into a customer than a customer into fans so 
let me give you an example. So one of my favorite examples is a company called Haggerty Insurance. Haggerty, and this is an example in our book, Fanocracy, Haggerty does automobile insurance. I mean, who loves automobile insurance? Nobody loves automobile insurance, right? It's terrible. It's a terrible thing. It's a terrible thing because you don't want to spend money on auto insurance. It feels like you're throwing your money away. $2,000 or $3,000 a year, whatever it costs to insure your car. And furthermore, you don't ever want to use the product because it means you crashed your car. How awful is that, right? What a terrible product. So I was talking to the CEO of Haggerty Insurance. His name is Mikhail Haggerty about how he's developed literally over a million fans of his business. And what he realized is that he needed to not do what everybody else in the auto insurance business does, which is either discount prices or spend a whole crap load of money on, on TV ads. But rather, he needed to figure out where the fans of cars go and then be a part of that fandom and then sell insurance that way, which is exactly what they did. So they decided to focus on classic car auto insurance. So they insure only classic cars. And I think 25 years or older is their guideline. So they go to over a hundred classic car events around the country every year. They're there on site. They set up a, a little booth. They provide education. They have a YouTube channel with over a million subscribers. They have a driver's club with 650,000 members where people can meet virtually online and you get a magazine every, every other month. It's, they're doing a really great job at number one, turning fans of classic cars into customers of Haggerty, but then they turn customers of Haggerty into fans of Haggerty. And I own a 1973 Land Rover. It's been insured by Haggerty now for 15 years. And I am a, a fan of my insurance company. I'm a fan of my auto insurance company, which sounds absolutely ridiculous, but but I am. And Mikhail Haggerty is, now runs the largest classic car insurance company on the planet. They're growing like crazy double-digit growth every year since he founded the company. They will add 200,000 new customers this year. So they're doing both, but it's probably a little bit harder to go into a fan base and make customers from those fans than it is to create fans of the customers you already have. And just as an aside, um, I love the example of Haggerty because some people say to us, well, sure, the Grateful Dead has fans and sure, Harry Potter has fans, but but I'm a dentist or I'm a doctor or um, I run a nonprofit or I run a software company or I'm a B2B technology business. You know, it's like people make an excuse for why they can't grow fans. You know, Grateful Dead has fans, sure, but you know, my business can't have fans. Well, they, of course it can. Every business can have fans. I'll give you two more examples. So, you know, auto insurance has fans. There's a U.S. government agency that has over 50 million fans. It's a U.S. government agency where you can be walking down the street in any city in the world and not be surprised to see somebody walking towards you with a t-shirt of that government agency on it. And people are always like, what, government agency fans, what are you talking about? But no, NASA has millions and millions of fans. And, you know, you could be, I was in the Seychelles, a group of islands off the um, western coast of Africa, just north of Madagascar with my wife in November. We went for a holiday and we were, at, we were on this little tiny island in the middle of nowhere off the coast of Africa. And I was walking down a rural street 
with my wife and there is a young man who was walking towards us with a NASA t-shirt on and it did not look out of place. And so that's kind of remarkable, a government agency that has that many fans. Uh, my third example is Dr. John Marashi. He's a dentist in Southern California. And I met Dr. Marashi, I speak at Tony Robbins Business Mastery events around the world. I met Dr. Marashi at a Tony Robbins event and, he, and you know, he had heard my speech about fandom and he says, David, I'm a dentist. I don't have fans. What are you talking about? And I go, sure, you can have fans. What do you love to do, Dr. Marashi? And he says, oh, my God, I'm a huge, huge skateboarder. I love to skateboard. I'm a skateboard fan. I go, well, that's it. Let's use this idea of skateboarding for you. And and so he doubled down on this idea. So in his office, he has skateboards on the walls. He will skateboard from one examination room to another examination room. Uh, he has an Instagram that now, last time I checked, had 14,000 followers. And on his Instagram, he's got um, pictures of him skateboarding, as well as some, you know, some doctor photos, but dentist photos. But he's mainly got pictures of him skateboarding. On his website, he's got pictures of him skateboarding. And... Now, he's not one of 10,000 doctors in Southern California. He's the one skateboarding dentist. His fans, his customers love that. And, you know, they talk up Dr. Marashi. You know, if somebody is new to the L.A. area, they move in and they, they reach out and they, they say, hey, you know, just new to the area, do you have a dentist you could recommend? that person already uses Dr. Marashi. The first thing out of their mouth, oh yeah, Dr. Marashi is awesome. He's, the, he's skateboards. <laughs> and so I met Dr. Marashi three years ago and I told him, you're the skateboarding dentist. He doubled down on the ideas and he reached out to me a couple months ago and said, David, I just want to let you know, 30% growth in new business last year, all attributed to the fact that I skateboard, we measured. So a government agency, a dentist, an auto insurance company, anybody can build fans. There's now many thousands of people who have read the book and started to implement the ideas and we're getting tons of emails from people saying, wow, these ideas work really well. Lots of things at fanocracy.com, www.fanocracy.com. Um, on Twitter, I am DM Scott. That's D-M-S-C-O-T-T. -T. I'm on the other social networks as well, but I mainly focus on Twitter on a regular basis. And um, anyone who's, a lot of people who um, listen to radio and podcasts are audiobook people. So Reiko and I read the audiobook ourselves um, for Fanocracy. And so a Fanocracy is when the fans rule.